0: Kidding. Trust me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 7 if you can. Please stand when you get that. 1 Samuel chapter 7 and go down to verse 7. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day. And so it confused them, that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, and drove them back as far as below Beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued. They did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath. And Israel recovered his territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord." So thankful for your word this morning, Lord, that you have given us something we can build our lives upon, a sure foundation. I pray that it would do just that this morning, Lord. Build into us. Make us more like your son. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Many of us are getting a little older, a lot like the little old lady who was having a visit with a pastor. He reminded her that at her age, it was important to start thinking about the hereafter. Oh, I do, she said. I think about it all the time. Why, just this morning, I went down to the basement. No sooner did I get down there than I asked myself, now, what am I hereafter? (laughs) That would be funnier to me if it didn't hit so close to home. As I grow older, my memory gets increasingly worse. Some of that is the result of old age. Some of it was my own doing. As it turns out, smoking dope in high school really does affect your memory later on in life. But really, memory is an amazing thing. Scientists tell us that we never really forget anything. Every experience, good and bad, is filed securely in our mental memory banks. Sometimes we forget where we put it, but it's still there. Now, Scripture is filled with stories emphasizing the importance of memory. In Numbers fifteen thirty-eight, for example, God tells Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corner of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord." That you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves after going after foreign gods. In Deuteronomy 8, 2, Israel said, or Israel was told, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. In Psalm 105, 5, it reads, remember the wonders he has done, the miracles, the judgments that he has pronounced. And in the New Testament, in Revelation 3, 3, it declares this, Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, obey it, and repent. Remember, remember, remember. Now, in our text today, we find that the Israelites also need to be reminded about a couple of things. Look at verse 7 with me. Now, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, They were afraid of the Philistines. It's likely that this meeting at Mizpah marked the beginning of Samuel's public ministry to the whole nation of Israel. So from that time on, he was the focal point for political unity and spiritual authority. In verse 7, the Philistines conceive this national revival as a direct threat to them, which should tell us that whenever there is a deep stirring of the Spirit of God, in the renewing and in the reviving of lives, the evil one will also be active in attempting to counter all the good work that God is doing. His tricks are many and varied, but we must be aware that Satan's attacks will come. As the Lord's Spirit was stirring the hearts of the Israel at mizpah the devil was rousing a deceptive outlook among the Philistines. They thought the reason for the assembly at mizpah was to launch a national revolt against the rule over them. Now, however, with all of Israel gathered together at Mishpah, the Philistines feel like they have the opportunity for a decisive strike. Isn't it interesting that as soon as they make a commitment to God, the enemy surrounds them? We may think that as soon as we make that commitment to the Lord, surely things will calm down and finally level out. When we make that commitment, we can be assured of two things. One, God will see us through. And two, there will be battles ahead. That's just how it is. And the scripture does not try to hide that or sugarcoat it. Right after Jesus was baptized, his father spoke from heaven, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That sounds good, right? All of us would love to hear that. But what happened next? Jesus was led into the wilderness where so the devil tempted him for 40 days. And after that was over, the Bible says the devil left him for an opportune time. And our enemy uses the same exact strategy with us. He is always patient and waiting for an opportune time. Let me be quite plain in this matter. When we begin to return to God, the enemy will immediately begin to try to entice us away from him. And this is when we must be strong and take a stand. Now, in the case of our story this morning, the tactic being used is fear. But that is not the only way that Satan will use to keep us from trusting the Lord. He may entice us with desires. Satan has an insidious habit of making available old enticements, which we have offered over to God And made a break from. Whenever we desire to get right, the enemy will be right there, which should serve to remind us that this life is not a playground. It is a battleground, and the stakes cannot possibly be any higher. Verse 8, please. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. So we see the children of Israel as they look at the gathering hordes of this Philistine army. And what did the people say? Quick, Samuel, go get the ark. No, they were done with superstition and lucky charms. They have finally realized they don't need the Ark of God. What they need is the God of the Ark. And so they implore Samuel to crowd to God on their behalf. Why? Because they fully understood that they could not possibly win this battle on their own, and they were in dire need of help. The children of Israel finally realized that they could not, de- they could not defeat their enemies in their own strength, and by their own power. The psalmist reminds us, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 20, verse 7. So then what do they trust in here? The sacrifice of an innocent lamb. You don't have to know very much of the Bible to see the New Testament parallels to that. For just like them... When mankind was chained in bondage and surrounded by sin, it took the sacrifice of an innocent lamb of God to win that battle. Like Israel, none of us in here had any chance of doing this on our own. It's like that old Don Francisco song where he said, the only question left us would be how and when we would fall. But after they offered the lamb... What had held them for 20 long years was finally broken. What kept them in fear and had dictated their lives and kept them in bondage, just like that, it was gone. It's a picture of the New Testament Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's interesting that 20 years earlier, they were destroyed by the Philistines right here at Mizpah. But 20 years later, God takes them to that very place of their defeat and gives them victory. So how do I, what do I do when I wander away and the things of the world once again begin to entice and allure me? When I'm standing at that place of old defeats, I think of my own personal Ebenezer and it reminds me once again to turn my heart to the land that was offered for the sins that I'm tempted to commit. Now note in verse 9 where it says, and the Lord answered him. This is an extraordinary moment in our story. And the story that 1 Samuel tells, this is the first time that the Lord has acted positively towards Israel since chapter 1, verse 19. When the Lord heard and answered Hannah's prayer and Samuel was born. Now after all of these years, he now hears Samuel's prayer and Israel was delivered. Just a quick comment on verses 10 and 11. Now, Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day. And so it confused them, and they were overcome by Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below beth The people of this region believe that Baal, the son of Dagon, was the thunder god. And so it's significant to remember that Baal was the Canaanite storm god. And it makes the power of God's thunder even more effective in shaking the Philistine army to the core. It was just as Hannah had said way back in 1 Samuel 2.10. She said, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. Now, she said this poetically, but it came to pass literally. It would seem that perhaps these thunderclaps were so loud and so close that it completely disoriented the Philistines. It was like an Old Testament stun grenade. Now, notice this. The man of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them. Instead of running and hiding, Israel is now pursuing the Philistines and drove them all the way back to beth which being translated is... The place of the lamb, kind of interesting, I think. Verse twelve: The Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer, saying, "Thus far the Lord has helped us." The setting up of stones to commemorate significant events has been a part of Hebrew culture since Jacob set up a memorial at Bethel in Genesis twenty-eight twenty, and when Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, Joshua four nine and 12 more on the bank of Gilgal to mark the place where the waters opened and Israel crossed into the promised land. So do you know what Samuel is doing here? He is erecting a spiritual mile marker. You know what a mile marker is, don't you? It's that post along the road that tells you how many miles you have traveled. What Samuel was doing was erecting this mile marker. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. He was declaring that when you begin to be afraid and think that God doesn't care, look at what this stone is, and remember what God done at this place and at that time. I think one of the beauties of Scripture is God could have simply made a rule of, of a collection of rules and regulations, but instead He fills it with stories about men and women down through time who God chose to work with. You can look back and see how God was there for Abraham. Moses, David, Esther, Hannah, Samuel, and Peter, Paul, and Mary. Not the singing group. This was a reminder that God had helped them this far and would continue to help them if they would just trust and keep his covenant. But it was also clear that they should choose to forsake God and go back to doing things their own way. He would punish them and once again allow them to be taken Into bondage. Now, the word Ebenezer literally means stone of help. In setting up this stone, Samuel was saying, Up to this point in our lives and in our journey, the Lord has helped us. Now, why is this so important to do today? Because sometimes I think we can think, Oh no, things will never work out. My marriage is on the rocks, my finances are down the drain. Everything looks grim in my life. What we need in times like that is an Ebenezer stone that reminds us that God has never failed us. Yes, there will be definite challenges that come our way. But in those challenges, God will always show himself strong. He's always there for us. Now, unfortunately, the word Ebenezer through time has come to mean something else. We usually attach it to the name Scrooge, which, of course, means someone miserly and cheap, mean and bitter. But before Charles Dickens forever changed that word, someone else wrote about it. His name was Robert Robinson, and he wrote the lyrics to the song that we know by the first line. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of highest praise. A the second verse says this, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. The songwriter and Samuel both looked back over their lives to where they had been and where they had come from and realized that, yes, the Lord had been with them the whole way. They got to this place where they were, not by themselves, but because the Lord had brought them this far. Does anyone within the sound of my voice need help this morning? Yes, we all do, to some degree and in some area. But you know what? It takes humility to ask for help, doesn't it? We live in a time where help is only given to those who are weak. Help is only given to those who are needy. Help is only given to those who can't. And yet James 4.6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Help only comes with humility. And what kind of help does God provide? He says through Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. When we find ourselves in a position where we are truly weak and all of our resources are gone and all of our answers evade us, we get the Ebenezer rock strength that comes from God alone. God's perfect strength at that point is then added into our lives. Do we need a stone of help today? You better believe we do. Psalm 103 tells us to not forget all of God's benefits, all the things that God has done for us. He's given us life and health. He's provided for us forgiveness and clean consciences. And he's promised us eternal life and hope even in the midst of death. Our lives have purpose and meaning this morning only because of what the Lord has done. We need more Ebenezer's. Life gets rough sometimes and we can forget where we have come from. That explains why so many things like gravestones or even fastened seatbelt lights are there to help us remember. Even a wedding ring is a symbol and a reminder of love and commitment. And Samuel's Ebenezer served that same purpose. Years later, people would look at that stone and be reminded of God's love for them and commitment to them, which would cause them then to be thankful. Memorials, they are important in our lives. Think of some of the spiritual victories in your life this far. In my own life, I have a few memories where at difficult junctures in my life, the Lord has helped me. And it reminds me that he has been faithful to me in the past. And so I can be assured that he will continue to be faithful to me until, as one black preacher said, I cross that chilly Jordan and finally stick my sword in the sand. He has been and he will be faithful to bring us home. Oh, I've griped and complained, and the Lord has even had to drag me a few times. But rest assured, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. The journey from Ichabod to Ebenezer, from the absence of God's presence to the help of his hand, can happen this morning for you. It is there for the asking. Verse 13, please. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath. And Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also there was peace between Israel and the Amorite. The situation that had prevailed in chapter 4 has been exactly reversed. Then Israel had been defeated before the Philistines. Now the Philistines were defeated or subdued before Israel. But make no mistake, the defeat was God's doing. God was acting in judgment against the apostate people. But now in chapter 7, he's acting in deliverance for the repentant people. This is what God did for Israel. They could hold their heads high, not because of their virtue or strength, but because of what the Lord their God had done for them. I don't want to press the term too far this morning, but there is a similarity here to our justification in Christ. Our enemy also has been defeated, and this is what God has done for us. And so, too, we can hold our heads high, not because of our own virtue or our own strength, but because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us in his victory on the cross. Remember back in verse 8, the children of Israel pleaded with Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Now we read in verse 13, So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The end result was that the Philistine domination over Israel was finally broken. But you know what? When those, or those Israelites awoke that morning, they had no idea that this very day God was going to answer their collective prayer through Samuel to the extent that in all the days of Samuel, they would never again even see a Philistine in their territories. We just never know when and how God may choose to answer our prayers. Sometimes God just likes to surprise us. Tony Campolo is a well-known Christian communicator who teaches sociology at Eastern College in St. David's, Pennsylvania. One day he was invited to speak at a Pentecostal college near his home campus. When he arrived that morning for the chapel service, he was escorted to a back room where eight men laid their hands on him and began to pray. Campolo said he was very appreciative of their heartfelt prayers. But one guy spent a long time praying about something that had nothing to do with the chapel service. And the longer he prayed, the more the other guys grew weary and leaned more heavily on Tony Campolo. He prayed on and on about a friend named Charlie. He said, God, you know Charlie. He lives in that silver trailer down the road about a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, down the road on the right-hand side. Campolo was thinking, knock it off, fella, What do you think God is saying? What was that address again? But he went on. Lord, Charlie told me this morning he's decided to leave his wife and three kids. He's going to walk out on his family, Lord. Step in. Do something. Bring that family back together again. Campolo said that God has kept praying earnestly for his friend Charlie and kept reiterating the fact that he was leaving his wife and three kids and he lived in the silver trailer down the road on the right-hand side. Meanwhile, the others kept leaning more heavily on Campolo's head and just waiting for the lengthy prayer to end. Finally, it was over, and he went to preach in the chapel. Afterwards, he got in his car and was heading home. Soon thereafter, he saw a hitchhiker and decided to give him a ride. As he pulled back on the road, Compolo introduced himself, and the hitchhiker said his name was Charlie. Compolo's heart began to race, and he took the next exit off the turnpike. The passenger asked him why he was exiting, and Compolo said, because you just left your wife and three children, right? Charlie's eyes got real big, and he said, right. He leaned closer to the door and never took his eyes off Compolo. Then things got really strange when Compolo drove right to his silver trailer. In complete amazement, Charlie asked, "How'd you know I lived here?" Compolo said he replied in his very best deep spiritual voice, "God told me." <laughs> he then ordered Charlie to get in the trailer, and Charlie hurried to the door. His wife greeted him at the door and shouted, "You're back! You're back!" Charlie then began whispering in her ear, and her eyes got bigger and bigger. Campolo came up to the porch and said, "Sit down. I'm going to talk, and you two are going to listen." It was the most captive audience he had ever addressed. That afternoon, those two people were led to Christ, and this day, Charlie is a preacher of the gospel. <laughs> now admittedly, prayers aren't always answered that dramatically, but then again, they're not always prayed that fervently either. I'll notice there that the cities that were taken from Israel, it says that God restored them back. In the book of Joel, the Lord says, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. And so the Lord is saying to us this morning, not only will I fix you and fix your future, but I'll even go back into your past and restore things even from there. Now, that doesn't always mean that God is going to fix them to our liking. For example, if you murder someone and get saved in prison, God's probably not going to break you out of prison but he will use you and bless you while you serve your time. But somehow for the believer, God works all things together for our good. How he does that, I cannot fully explain, but I know that it is true nonetheless. Verse 15, please. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year to on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned home to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. I think this statement draws our attention to the contrast from Eli's failed leadership at this point and Samuel's effective leadership. Eli judged Israel for 40 years, and at the end of it, all the glory had departed from Israel. But at Mizpah, Samuel judged Israel, and the glory had returned. They were God's people once again. I think Israel's experience is a shadow of our own. With our enemy defeated, it is a time for righteousness to be our new standard. Now, 1 Samuel 7 has brought us to this pinnacle moment in the story that the book has to tell. It is a high point in the history of Israel when Israel became what Israel was supposed to be. The cities in verse 14 were in a 14-mile radius Samuel was the first circuit-riding preacher, counseling the inhabitants in the wisdom and the ways of God. As a traveling preacher, he probably ate a lot of chicken and potato salad. Verse 17 says, Samuel built an altar where he lived. Now, this principle remains of utmost importance. If you want to minister, it always must begin at home. But here's one thing I want us to remember before we go. Israel's tragedy resulted in Israel's victory. Think of just what we've covered so far in 1 Samuel. The Philistines attacking, their spiritual leaders corrupt and dying, and even the capture of the ark eventuated in their victory. It led Israel to a spiritual revival and made it possible for God to bring them back to a place of peace and victory. So is it possible to arrive at victory apart from a battle? I don't think so. The very name victory implies that you have won a battle. As a matter of fact, the word test and testimony both come from the same root word. And it's true. You can't really have a testimony of what God's done in your life unless you have gone through some tests. So when the trials, hardships, pains, and battles do come, and they will come, and when the enemy surrounds you, Go back to one of your Ebenezer stones and remember how God has worked in your life and you can be confident he is still at work. They had peace because they knew that God was on their side. Once you experience revival and see God move in your life, that is when we can really experience true peace. When you know that God is on your side, there is an amazing sense of peace that Paul said in Romans 8.31. What should we say then in response to all of these things? If God is for us. Who can be against us? Now, as we move through chapter 8, we're going to see the lessons of this moment were not remembered very well in Israel. But we should pause and see that at least we learn from them. If we have learned well from Israel's experience, I hope that we can see how these chapters point us to the leader that we really need. He was the one sent by God to bring us back to God, to intercede for us, and to lead us in all righteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ is a leader of whom Samuel is just a faint shadow. And this proves to us this morning that if God can redeem my heart, and if God can redeem my experience without, then we have every reason to trust that he can redeem everything in our lives, past, present, and future. And that is our hope, Lord. You are our only hope. We know there is no plan B. And so, Father, once again, we rededicate our lives to wanting to do things your way. Remind us of some Ebenezer Stone moments in our lives. Because one thing that I can be completely sure of is you are faithful, you have been faithful, and you always will be faithful. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen.